あの日星が降った日それはまるでまるで夢の景色のように美しい眺めだった Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Vendor Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Today, what we're going to be doing is discussing the new Makoto Shinkai movie, Your Name. Uh, Dave, you said there would be no episode this week. You lied. I lied. <laughs> Sometimes, Jeffrey, the desire to talk about movies just cannot be stopped. That's right. And that that's absolutely why we're here. right. Yeah, we're here. You know,、uh, we, we could have just taken the week off. Uh, but uh, no, we're here to talk about this、uh, crazy successful anime film that's out in limited release in US theaters right now. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Two strangers find themselves linked in a bizarre way. When a connection forms, will distance be the only thing to keep them apart?、Uh, and this movie, like I said, is out in limited release. Before I get to our review, I just want to mention you can find more episodes of our podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can also email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Uh, gentlemen, I just want to say I'm really excited not just to talk about this movie with you, but, but literally within the next 24 hours, I am leaving、uh, Seattle to go to Las Vegas. I'm driving to Vegas、mm-hmm. to go see Hans Zimmer、uh, live in concert. Did you guys、nice. see this、uh, Coachella performance? It was pretty、uh, good. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Kanata, you know what I'm talking about? I do know what you're talking about. Yes, I heard about it. I heard he rocked the house at Coachella. Minds must have been blown because my guess is, I don't know, my guess, just randomly guessing, that the Coachella crowd may not even know who Hans Zimmer is.、Uh, <laughs> but they recognize his music because he's obviously helped to shape、uh, the sound of modern cinema today. Anyway, I, I had no real plans to go see Hans Zimmer in concert just because he's not going to be in Seattle.、Uh, but after seeing how good that Coachella, like, I, I started watching that video, and five minutes in, I was like, okay, well, I got to go see this. I got to、uh, drive 18 hours to go see this. I'm driving 18 hours、uh, with my significant other. We're doing this together to go、uh, see this in Las Vegas. So hopefully, nothing goes wrong along that entire trip. Now, is,、uh, she, uh, is she as amped about Hans Zimmer as you are? Not you even close.、Ooh. Not even close. So, wow, she's a saint. <laughs> she, must, she must really like you, Dave. <laughs> I, I suspect that that's true. But yes, I,、uh, I'm grateful that we'll be making this trip together.、Uh, and、uh, I'll talk about the Hans Zimmer concert、uh, next week on the podcast.、Yeah. So we'll mention how it is.、Uh, but he's doing like two tours. He's doing like two separate tours. One's called like Hans Zimmer Revealed, and there's a different tour.、Uh, if you Google his name and his tour, then you'll, you'll find that information. I'm、uh, not aware of any other. Maybe you guys can correct me because you guys are much more knowledgeable on this topic than I. But. I'm not aware of any other、uh, composer save John Williams that has done anything like this. Oh, a bunch of them do it. I saw、um, uh, Clint Mansell here in New York、mm. uh, in a church, and it was like by far one of the most religious experiences I've ever had. So, yeah, yeah the, they also, do it. So, check it out. I also saw a Game of Thrones live concert experience,、mm-hmm. uh, which yeah, yeah. was not really、uh, based <laughs> on the composer. It's more of a Game of Thrones show, you know? Sure, yeah.、Uh, well, yeah, there's that, there's that kind of stuff. But、right. it's not a、like、Ramin Javadi. I mean, Ramin Javadi wrote all the music, but yeah.、Uh, yeah. it's not a Ramin Javadi tour.、Uh, Hans Zimmer's dec-、uh, career obviously spans decades. So, anyway, so why are we reviewing Your Name? 
on the podcast. Uh, I mean, you that, demanded that's a question. It. Uh, yeah. The audience demanded it, guys. The audience demanded I mean, we got dozens of uh, tweets about this. Ten, you know, tens of dozens, I would say, uh, of, of tweets asking us to discuss. I'm just joking, by the way. I don't actually <laughs> say that. Uh, I muted myself or you would not have heard the, the water almost shooting out of my mouth. Because I, <laughs> I muted myself to take a swig of water. And then you said that and I, and I went. <laughs> and I'm so, so luckily I would mute and was muted. We got, we got lots of people asking us to review this movie. This was not on my radar at all. Uh, but I, I looked it up, and this movie has made over $300 million worldwide. It is an international hit. Uh, and a lot of people are saying Makoto Shinkai is uh, the heir, artistically, to Miyazaki. I mean, so, they're, they're saying that about a lot of anime directors, but I think, uh, you know, he has certain They're saying that a lot of, about a lot of directors, but this guy is the one, for sure. No, seriously, <laughs> I, though. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people asked about it, and so Jeff and I went to see it, in addition to Devendra, who saw it last week. Uh, and I think there's just a lot to discuss. So let's offer some brief overall thoughts on the movie before we dive into spoilers, of which there are a ton. Um, so, Devendra, you've already talked about this movie mm-hmm. uh, on the Slash Filmcast. You said it was very good. You, you actually said there were some parallels to another recent movie you reviewed, The Discovery, which I totally recognized when, when I saw the movie. Um, <laughs> Jeff Kanata, uh, your overall thoughts on the movie. I assume you went in completely cold, other than Devendra's description of the movie. Yes, correct. Um, and um, th- this movie is is beautiful. It's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of art. Uh, it's uh, beautifully animated, um, and uh, it is. I did not love it. Uh, I liked it, and I think that if it were shot live action, it it would not be what it is. Uh, mm. I think I think this story and the way it's written and the way it's conveyed is a little thin and a little uneven and i think the first half is very different from the second half i prefer oh, yes. the, i prefer the second half um even though it's problematic as well uh the first half you know is 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 uh, almost something we would make fun of uh you know if it was if it was live action and released now mm-hmm. um and, and there's a lot of fun to be had i mean i i liked the movie i i really did like the movie uh i just didn't didn't fall in love with it it didn't move me in the way that i think maybe it has other people and uh i think for me it is a lot of uh style over substance and the style is to be lauded it is very very impressive the style is beautiful the the little flourishes the the <clears throat> the way the characters animate their relationships all that stuff the the world the little the little details of Japanese culture and the little tidbits we find out about tradition and this little uh, sort of hideaway town that half the movie takes place in uh, I, I found all that stuff to be absolutely magical and and lovely the central the thing that we will talk about in spoilers, the central um, narrative thread of this film, the, the central mystery and question, I found to be a, a little um, unsatisfying ultimately. And um, like there are there are concepts that I don't think have a firm set of rules to them. And I found myself questioning. There's a lot to be made of the title of this movie. And I and as we will get to in spoilers, I kind of didn't. I wasn't along for the ride for that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but there's a lot to like, and it's certainly something I can recommend to people. Even if you don't like anime, you will probably be swept up in just the pure 
animation glory of this movie. It is it is beautiful, and it is you know I think when people think of anime, they in general in the West they think of you know giant monsters or superpowers or anything, and it's and you know even Miyazaki movies are full of mysticism and creatures and strangeness, and this movie for the most part is just people in real places and. I think there's a beauty to that that most people may not even be aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really love this movie. I, I think it has uh, uh, some problems. You know, Jeff, probably uh, I agree with some of the things that you're talking about. I'm, I'm going to assume I, I will agree with some of the things you're talking about in spoiler section, but maybe not. Uh, but yeah, it, it's not a perfect movie. But ultimately, it hit me with an emotional wallop. The central relationship between the two characters really did work for me on some level. Uh, and what level, again, want to discuss more in spoilers. Uh, but overall, I think it's a, a unique story that's told beautifully uh, that just left me uh, kind of emotionally devastated, thinking, you know, the, the credits start rolling and I just want to sit there and think about the movie for a while. So I loved it. I, I, I was a huge fan of this movie, Your Name, and... Uh, uh, I recommend anyone see it. So I, I liked it quite a bit more than Jeff. And Devendra, are you uh, you're on my level of fandom for this movie? Yeah, pretty right? much. Yeah, I I love this thing. Like I think this movie is going to be in my top ten this year for yeah, sure. I think so. Too. Um, yeah. It paints in broad strokes, and I can understand. Like, yeah, they don't quite explain everything that happens in it. Uh, I'm the type of viewer where I like you know ambition, and I like try you know swinging for the fences, even if not everything connects. And for me. Um, like where this movie goes is pretty astounding. Like I haven't gone on a journey like this uh, in a single film, I think. Like I was astounded by like to the depths it went. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to talk about in spoilers. I do want to say uh, Makoto Shinkai, he's been a big deal for a while, or at least somebody who's been interesting to watch. His first movie, Voices of, of a Distant Star, it's like a 20-minute short. He made it on his Power Mac uh, a digital, like he just made it at home in the early 2000s. And it was like one of the things that proved that, first of all, digital animation could look good, but also it was kind of coming down to something like a normal person could do as like an independent film. Uh, it's been fascinating to see his growth. He's done several movies. Do you, do you have um, a and, favorite one that you think people mm-hmm. should definitely check out? If you should want. definitely see Voices of a Distant Star because it's 20 minutes. Like it'll, it is, it, and it also packs an emotional wallop. It is sort of like, Interstellar, and it actually deals with some... It's about a boy and girl who meet, and then the girl goes off to fight in a far-off alien war, as tends to happen in a giant robot. Uh, Classic tale. And, you know, the, the time... Uh, it uh, the time between them like uh, she's experiencing time differently um, so imagine like that whole sequence in Interstellar happening between you know young teenage love uh, it's really fascinating and he's done this a lot uh, he did five centimeters per second um, a whole bunch of things you should also see that but definitely his first one all right, Voices of a Distant Star. If you saw your name and really loved it, check that out as something else to, to watch from this up-and-coming director. Uh, let's move into spoilers. Before we get to that, though, just a couple of uh, administrative things real quick. Number one, uh, did you watch the Japanese version or the dubbed version, Jeff Kanata? I wasn't sure <laughs> that there were two versions. I saw the Japanese version with subtitles. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. Um, but I saw that there were two different at the at the theater that that I was going to see it, I saw that there were two different screenings that were like 
bifurcated in some weird way. And I, I didn't understand why that would be. I was like, why don't you just list all the show times together? And then it was only after that I kind of got a, a, an inkling that there might be two versions. But I'm really pleased that I saw the subtitled version. I thought that yeah, was Yeah, so. you, uh, you really mm-hmm. dodged the bullet. I mean, I <laughs> I saw the, the trailer for the dubbed version, and it just uh, – it doesn't look like the worst dubbing that I've ever mm-hmm. seen, but it just doesn't seem like the same movie fundamentally. So, Well, you know, I, I certainly have enjoyed a lot of the Miyazaki dubs where they got, you know – Tina Fey and famous mm-hmm. people to do to do voices. I, I've I've certainly enjoyed those, and I don't I don't think dubbing an anime is as egregious as dubbing a live action film because it's voice over anyway. It's people in a booth doing voices anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it depends. I, yeah, it really, it really depends. depends. And I guess yeah. what I'm saying is this particular dubbing. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's. Uh, if they used like a bunch of amazing voice talent, um, yeah. but uh, you know, some people have seen the dubbing, and so, when I tweeted about this, some people mm-hmm. said they've seen the dubbing and they thought it was fine. Uh, yeah. Just wanted to just make sure, like, if you have a chance to see the Japanese version, see that version. Um, That's usually the case. Like, unless it is a Disney release, um, it's usually the studios. Like, that's how you can tell who does a good dub or not like honestly i was uh you know re-watching ghost in the shell recently and that was a high profile movie uh in the 90s but even that dub is like just hard to hear just like that was the best we could do in the 90s and it is sad that you know uh aside from disney it's it's kind of tough to see that other studios aren't doing much better now all right let's get to your name spoilers one other thing i want to mention is just that uh, because we are putting this bonus episode out next week's slash film cast where we're going to review free fire the new ben wheatley movie uh, will probably be out one or two days later than usual. Um, so overall, you are getting more slash filmcast, but uh, it's just going to come a little bit later than usual. It'll probably be a Wednesday or Thursday before that one is released. Let's move into spoilers for your name starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret name. You want to be fooled. So I, I'm honestly, uh, I would be interested to hear, like, what was your reaction as this movie started going more and more crazy, right? Because there are specific <laughs> points. There's like the early sequence. It's like, okay, oh, the, for some reason they're, you know, they're kind of switching bodies. Oh, this is a nice sci-fi thing. And then the big reveal that, oh, no, this happened a long time ago. And then they're actually trying to fix it. Like, how did you guys react to those different stages of the film? Because it escalates in very different ways. Yeah, I, I thought the way that it sort of revealed what was happening was very, very clever. It doesn't mm-hmm. – it's not in a straightforward way at all. It, it's not like, hey, uh, you you are introduced to a character kind of waking up in the other person's body. But then it, it then cuts to later on when yeah. it's that character it, waking up in their own body and then, hey, by the way, you're acting normal today, you know, right. and someone else. <laughs> and that's just like, wow. You're missing out on it's, – it, it's like we're in Freaky Friday, right? right. Freaky, yeah. We're yeah, Freaky yeah. Fridaying, but all the fun stuff for Freaky Friday, they're like, no, 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 we're not interested in that. Right. And I thought that was – it was so – it was such a bold choice of like all the fun, wacky mix ups which is what these movies, these kinds of movies, and there have been a lot of them, right? <laughs> this is a this is a movie trope. Is the we switched bodies on a on a, a full moon under the stars? Um, 
they you know the the fun of these movies is all of that like figuring it out figuring it all out and uh it's it, i thought it was a really cool choice for the movie to go yeah that's not really what we're interested in in fact we'll just kind of montage our way through that because that's not mm-hmm. really what this is about right at the same time i feel like i read an interview with uh, the director and it seemed like part of what he was trying to convey was this idea of how uh, people who teenagers who are going through puberty it is a very alienating and weird time where you feel like not at home in your own body. Um, but per what you just said, Jeff, I don't feel like that theme ever really came through because of what you're describing about the choices they made. Right. I mean it, 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 it led the first half of the movie for me to feel very odd. Like yeah. it, it, I, I kind of felt like, well, what are we even really talking about mm-hmm. here? Um, and I mean, I liked <laughs> the fact that like he couldn't keep his hands off her boobs, you know, like that, <laughs> which is was, the most innocent way of portraying what a guy would do. <laughs> right. I was like, there's lots more there that probably let's okay, probably best that we're not talking about that. Yeah, yeah. But it but it was cute, and it was it was it was done in a very mm-hmm. uh, charming way, where you know, like <laughs> every time he's like, don't do it, don't do it, and then he's just sitting there squeezing them. And it's funny. It was it was it's funny. funny. Yeah. I mean, for me, like it's we have seen a lot of movies like this, and I think this. Is a explore this idea of switching up your identity in different ways, right? Because it's also about gender. It's about a young boy being placed in a young girl's body and a young girl being placed in a young guy's body. And it kind of shows like, hey, by the way, there are advantages to approaching things in a slightly more feminine way, maybe, in terms of your relationships. And maybe if you're not outgoing enough, maybe (laughs) having a little more bravado once in a while could actually help you you know, especially if you're being bullied by your classmates or something. So I like the way they sort of their traits ended up helping each other. It's a it feels like a young adult book in that way. Like it's it's yeah. very uplifting. And then it turns into Armageddon. And I <laughs> and that's when I fell in love with this movie. Well, yeah. So uh, I, I like the idea that they're they kind of not only uh, are able to experience the benefits, quote unquote, of having these mm-hmm. vastly different personalities, but but see things from a different perspective. This woman, you know, this girl who wants to get out of this incredibly rural town that doesn't even have a cafe. What uh, a beautiful town, by the way. It's just so idyllic. That is the yeah. most Miyazaki thing about this movie, right? Ver- versus the uh, you know the. A boy who's living in the heart of Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, and just visually it looks amazing. But then you also, you in seeing both of their perspectives, you understand the appeal of both lifestyles, and right. uh, yeah. and hopefully it seems like both characters develop an appreciation of both lifestyles as a result. Um, so I thought there was something very uh, cosmopolitan about you know at least that message of the movie is that hey you may like the grass is always greener. You may be incredibly dissatisfied with your current situation, but for uh, someone else in the world, your situation mm-hmm. is awesome, or is like what they would most like to live in. Yeah, and uh, I think the I think the the putting off of the um, the reveal that we're not in the same time period when we switch back and forth, mm-hmm. I think, kind of created in my mind a bunch of questions of like, well, why why aren't they why are they behaving in this particular way? Like, why why wouldn't they right, right. try to find one another or try to call one another? And they eventually do, and we find out why that that doesn't work. But it. Yeah, it, it was unfortunate that that it made me the whole beginning of the movie just felt like very strange, and mm-hmm. it pays off, right? It pays off, but it it put me in an odd place where I kept going like, is this just bad writing or yeah. or not? You know, yeah, it's I just very. I didn't feel that it, way at all. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. felt like uh, there there was something in the movie they just self described as like very dreamlike. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't even know. It took them a while to even realize 
that it was actually real what was happening. And they develop rules. And then shortly after they do that, it, you know, the, then comes the message of, hey, maybe I should meet this person. Yeah. So yeah. here's where I think the movie succeeds and here, here's where I think it fails is uh, someone brought this up like Interstellar, right? Uh, someone tweeted this at me and then you brought it up to Devendra. Uh, this movie, in my opinion, accomplishes what Interstellar failed at, which is mm-hmm. to create this story about love that this epic love that transcends time and space right that that you can somehow reach through time and and that uh your love is so powerful that it can bring you two together mm-hmm. uh and i you know interstellar visually spectacular does a lot of things right uh some great performances but i never really felt that as a result of watching interstellar this is a movie where well, i felt that you know in in you know in Interstellar's defense, you are not a father. That's so. right. I am barren. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I, I this is a movie that I feel like oh my god that this is what mm-hmm. Interstellar was going for, and I felt like uh, your name really achieved that. Now, the thing I don't think this movie achieved is uh, that I everything that happens in this movie leads me to believe that you are supposed to believe. There is a romantic connection between these two characters, right? Right. Um, for instance, uh, the one of the male character Taki goes out on a date, and mm-hmm. at the end of the date, his date says to him, "Hey, uh, you used to like me, uh, or I think you used to have a crush on me, but now it seems like you like someone else, right?" Mm-hmm. I think the implication is that he likes Mitsua, uh, and that I never really bought. I bought that they would. Like mm-hmm. love each other, you know, like kind of um, like a friendship love or a brother or sister love. But just thinking about, could you love? Could you romantically love someone that you've never met before? You yeah, know, dude. through Come on. through well, you've like been inside their body. You've been inside their body yeah. and you've read their texts, mm-hmm. but that's like all you've you've done. And most of the texts are very. Um, what do you call it? Very uh, businesslike. It's yeah, very, very like, pragmatic. Yeah, very pragmatic. You know, it's not like you're writing love letters to each other. Uh, I agree with you, Dave. Is that there? There was a sequence too where you get some like flashbacky backstory, and I thought it was leading us to the reveal that they were twins in the womb, uh-huh. and that kind of got separated somehow. Like there's a a weird thing with the the parents and all that stuff that we find out, uh, which doesn't happen. But I would have totally bought that. Because of what you're saying, which is I never really got a romantic-y kind of thing right, from that. Right. Yeah, it, so that, that's where it felt like I could buy yeah. that. You know, here's what I like th- that the movie does convey is like these two people feel incomplete without each other. Like they feel incomplete without each other in their lives, and, and I buy that. Um, but I don't fully buy that it's a romantic love between them. I, I, I buy I that like, it's a familial yeah. friendship love, not necessarily romantic. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Like the movie just – it does kind of just jump into that, or I think it starts to edge towards that uh, with that conversation during Taki's date. Yep, um, yep. But it's also like, uh, I think of like how dumb I was during high school, right? Or how dumb we all are. And we may have friends and we may not realize like, oh, this person actually, like, I, I really do like this person. It's just different. Um, I do, yeah, the movie could have conveyed some of that uh, romantic love better. Um, that's probably the biggest weakness. Uh, there's also a huge plot uh, hole, I guess, for the first half of the movie. Nobody looks at a calendar. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, never, you, never comes up. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably the most contrived part of this In movie. Fact, they, they constantly look at their phones' calendar. Yes, right. yes, yes. But no year. 
New Year. <laughs> so that's that's like one thing you have to get over. Uh, but yeah, I hear you. Like uh, again, I feel just, like they force the romantic bit. Yeah. It's just uh, you know, uh, there. It's like a dream, right? Like there's mm-hmm. moments in this movie where, like, when they try to figure out what their own names are at the end, and it's the most excruciating thing in the world to have woken mm-hmm. up from a dream and th- thought to yourself, "Wow, I just had the most profound idea. I just had the most profound idea of this invention that's going to make a billion dollars, but yeah. I can't remember it." You know. But- but the thing that kind of bothered me because th- throughout the whole movie, they never have a problem remembering anything until mm-hmm. the end when all of a sudden they can't remember each other's names. But there's they, every time they've ever woken up from their dreams, they've they've sort of had a vague – they've not been able to recollect what they I think maybe did. because they were changing it. I think that's where it got ah. a little fuzzy. Like they were changing the timeline in a way that this girl wouldn't have known him if she had stayed alive. I don't know. See, that like, wasn't clear sure to that me. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're right, but that that I didn't get that. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I mean, for me, the the most powerful moment of the movie is when they finally meet on that crater at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and uh, they are, are, are talking to each other, and it's finally like this huge cathartic meeting of these two people trying to find each other. And they finally do, and they're like, let's remember each other, and then like writing this thing, like magic happens at twilight, writing names on the arms, and then the music, the sound design, it just all cuts mm-hmm. off, right? Abruptly, smash cut to like the marker falling on the ground when they disappear. Incredibly yep. I, effective moment. I loved that moment too, but again, why would why would they be like, let's write our names down on our arms so we don't remember we don't forget each other? You haven't had a problem remembering each other this whole time. <laughs> like why why would they think that they would need to write their names on their arms to remember each other? Because they he they've not had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. There's been no mm-hmm. issue about knowing what's been going on. They look on their phones every day and they read their things. It's like it just comes out of nowhere for me at the end of of this this vital importance of remembering, oh my God, I'm going to forget you. I'm going to forget your name. And the whole movie is like surrounding this whole concept of, oh my God, don't forget that person. But it's like, well, it just comes out of nowhere. It is, there's no right. like, setup for that. It, it would have been more effective if they'd woken up. And I, I mean, I don't know. I think there is some of that in there, Jeff, but I agree. Yeah. You know, there is some of that where they wake up and they, they aren't sure if they were dreaming or not. Right. Well, they don't remember what they did, but they don't ever have a problem. Like the whole process in the first half of the movie of jumping back and forth and communicating with each other, it, it seems like it's all very secure. There's no, there's no chance of not remembering it or not being hip mm-hmm. to it. Or it's, it, I, I, I think so, so like they could have was, seed, better seeded in the idea of mm-hmm, them yeah. not being able to remember each other. It yeah. was much more stable in the first half of the movie, and then the connection was kind of sparked by him drinking the uh, the sake at the end, and that felt inherently more tenuous. Like this is you are doing this, but like you know things, this is not quite right. You know, this isn't a stable connection to the past or something. I do think like I at least got some of that. Like whatever it was connecting them was kind of drifting away. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And uh, this movie, like, you do have to accept certain things. I think it's kind of interesting how the movie just kind of throws these ideas out there. Like, oh, this girl and her mother, by the way, had premonitions in the past. And uh, that's that's just how it is. And I kind of love that. Uh, I love that about uh, Japanese films in particular. Like, the original Ring, uh, Ringu, that was a big part of it. Like, somebody was just psychic, fucking deal with it. And that's <laughs> it. Okay. I, uh... Based on the fact that I've been playing Persona 5 at the same time yes. as watching this, yes. I, I've determined that should I ever go to Japan again, every adult is not to be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, and you will get lost in Shibuya Station. Also a great game. 
Um, so uh, mm-hmm. I, I want to just talk about a couple other things. Firstly, I think uh, yeah, I, I mentioned you know the movie's not perfect. I think one of the other problems is the use of J-pop in the soundtrack. I think will horribly date this movie. Like I disagree. It, it, it already sounds pretty dated as is, in my uh-huh. opinion, and I think like in 20 years from now, it's going to sound even more dated. J-pop and, will never die, Dave. Come on. Fair, fair enough. I mean, you, you might have your own opinion on that, but I think you know, uh, it's, ver- it's very much of its time, and if it had used more orchestral score or something like that, then I think it could be more timeless, even despite the use of uh, cell phone technology. I think also that uh, I liked that this movie combined elements of movies like uh, 12 Monkeys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the opening with the ribbon and everything, uh, you know, and, and then like you find out where the ribbon comes from is very reminiscent of La Jetée, 12 Monkeys, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. And uh, I, th- I thought that was just very effective. It's a great aha moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, some cool, some cool fun time travel stuff that you don't expect from this movie because you feel like, oh, the sci-fi thing is the body switching. I'm not even perked up and paying attention yep. for, for uh, time travel stuff. Yeah, and then like- that <laughs> comes up. All of a sudden, you have to juggle three different sci-fi concepts. And I kind of love that the movie surprised me with that, too. So I, I actually haven't seen the trailers for this. So I'm kind of in your Unsullied camp, Jeff. I just heard from a lot of people that it was very good. Uh, but I do like how this movie surprised us. Uh, speaking of great movies that this thing reminded me of, too, I think you guys, have you seen the Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock classic, The Lake House? Uh, mm. No, but I know I know of which you speak. It's pretty much the same. Like it is very much like the same concept. Um, because he, he's like, like writing letters, but he's already dead, right? Is that what something it is? something like that? Yeah. yeah, but it's it's a very similar sort of connection thing. And uh, we've seen a lot of these ideas in different places too. But I just I think this movie wraps it all together in a way that we haven't really seen before, and that's probably why it's ended up like it's just taking off. Like anime movies don't usually hit the box office like this especially in america right you, it is pretty funny that... reminded me of uh mm-hmm. another great movie that is very random but you know tell me i maybe i'm wrong about the fact that it just <laughs> reminds me of this but uh inglorious bastards there's <laughs> 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 all the nazis that get killed in. yeah yeah no, that's right that's right uh okay let me uh tell you what i mean by that all right uh so spoilers for inglorious bastards coming up uh, but at the end of Inglorious Bastards, what happens is the bastards go into this theater that Hitler is watching a premiere in, and uh, in addition to the theater being consumed alive, uh, like consumed, you know, by fire, by the power of cinema, by the power of film, uh, through fire, uh, they also uh, shoot Hitler and his men to mm-hmm. death right before it's consumed in flames. Just to be sure. And this movie has the exact same ending. Exact same scene. Exact same scene. But it's no, Japanese it was – yeah. I don't know. I felt like – I felt like uh, it, on some level was Quentin Tarantino saying like, hey, film has the power to go back in time and redeem us for th- these things that we should have done but but never did, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we should have killed Hitler like earlier than we did or – uh, we should have killed Hitler in the most brutal and gruesome way possible, and uh, and and cinema allows us to do that. Uh, it was like kind of his way as an American of trying to right this mm-hmm. psychic wrong of World War II, and uh, I I don't know you know what the the Japanese perspective on this film is, so I may be just completely speaking out of my ass, but uh, <laughs> I would imagine. 
living in a world after the bomb, right, mm-hmm. where you've seen cities vanish off the face of the earth. Just the, one day there was a town there, and the next day there was no town. Yeah. One day there was a city of t- tens of thousands of people, and a week later there was no city anymore. Uh, and living with that in your not too long ago history, you know, uh, less than a hundred mm-hmm. years ago history, uh, that there is probably some anxiety or desire to be able to go back and fix that somehow, right? Mm-hmm. That well, there, that there's some desire, like, hey, if yeah. if, there, if only we could have told people to get out of there, or if only we could have done X Y Z, that mm-hmm. we could have fixed it. Now, maybe I'm being like grossly offensive. I don't know. If I am, no, please, I, I no, Dave, I, there, Dave. Please I write in. This, yeah, I had the same exact thought, and um, I, I think if you look at the entire scope of anime, of of Japanese media, of Japanese uh, entertainment. I think for the last 50 years, that theme is almost omnipresent. Definitely. I mean, it mm-hmm. it is especially. I think here we are in a moment in history where we're seriously talking about nuclear bombs being dropped again somewhere on the planet, either by us or by others. The the incredible, lasting effects of that one act that have completely shaped a culture for a hundred years. It, it is, I think I'm looking across all of, of Japanese culture, you see them wrestling with this mm-hmm. and trying to rectify those horrible things that happened in their cultural past. And I think it is it, – it bears bringing up and it bears consideration because you see it over and over and over again from you know pop silliness like Godzilla even you know is, is like a direct – Godzilla, yeah, is purely nuclear commentary. Like yeah. it is very much that. But I mean every – Akira, you know, like you go mm-hmm. down the list over and over and over again. It's – so much of it is, is bringing up these themes of a, a power that is so overwhelming that it – it must be stopped or it is you know it can change everything mm-hmm. it is i don't think um i don't think it's it's a, a stretch to say that that is a direct yeah. uh, direct result I, I, I like the way you got here dave uh that was a real roundabout way of doing it but yeah <laughs> let me put on my walk. yeah my uber nerd glasses here though like i did uh while i was in college like a lot of my cultural studying was relating pop culture to things like this and that was a driving theme you know like the idea that what's happening in a society affects its pop culture and you see that you definitely see that in america post 9 11 uh in japan everything you're saying jeff like godzilla for sure akira Uh, but there's also like just there's so much anime there's so many japanese films about like the apocalypse and just trying to stop the end times and about how the hope is in young children uh, because the adults can't be trusted, and you're seeing that in Persona too, by the way, um, because the adults were the ones sending everybody to war, and the kids just kind of had to do it. And even something like Battle Royale, you know, like we see this idea that the adults have the system in place and the kids are just like trying to be free or trying to fight against it. So, yeah, good point, Dave. And I was I was definitely going to mention something like that. I, I just want to mention also, by the way, it's not just the atomic bomb. Uh, mm-hmm. If you guys have seen Errol Morris's Fog of War yep. with uh, Robert McNamara, uh, I'm just going to quote from that movie here. He has he, like Aaron Morris has a transcript of every single or most of his movies on his website. Uh, but here's McNamara uh, quote: "Why was it necessary to drop the nuclear bomb if LeMay was burning up Japan? And he went from Tokyo to bomb other cities. Fifty-eight percent of Yokohama. Yokohama is roughly the size of Cleveland. Fifty-eight percent of Cleveland destroyed. Tokyo is roughly the size of New York. Fifty-one percent 
of New York destroyed. 99% of the equivalent of Chattanooga, which was Toyama. 40% of the equivalent of Los Angeles, which is Nagoya. This was all done before the dropping of the nuclear bomb. Proportionality should be a guideline of war. Killing 50 to 90% of the people of 67 Japanese cities and then bombing them with two nuclear bombs is not proportional in the minds of some people to the objectives we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And and Uh, we're sitting here in the week after our country dropped what was referred to as the mother of all bombs. Yeah. You know, it's, this is not a historical footnote. <laughs> yeah. This is a real current thing to consider that mm-hmm. what does that do to humanity? Yeah. What does that do to a people? Yeah. And I, I guess uh, I just wanted to, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I just wanted to say like it is just it's beyond just atomic mm-hmm. bombs. You know, it is that we wiped out hundreds of thousands of people before uh, we even had we before we even dropped the atomic bombs on on Japan and whole cities vanished or whole huge chunks of cities vanished. Uh, and what is the psychic harm that does to someone uh, who lives or had that city in their past? And what would they do to try and rectify that? And I feel like mm-hmm. we saw that play out a little bit in this movie, right? That mm-hmm. if if this city is gone, you would do everything in your power, and and it might not work. You know, some of your techniques might not work. Uh, because no one would believe you, uh, but you do everything in your power, including bombing a power substation and like <laughs> triggering an emergency evacuation, just to just to have this happen. What, whatever it takes. Like, having that, said that, though, did you think her friends were a little too quick to jump on board? <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, whatever, man. Like, they built a cafe together, friends for life, right? Um, I, I, I think you're yeah. right. I think you're right that they would be willing to, you know, do this. What in the U.S. would be a massive federal crime, mm-hmm. you know, to, on this, like, on their friend's crazy idea. Uh, but it's but more it, than a crazy idea. It's like you're talking nonsense, you know. You're, <laughs> it's a little bit – if your friend came to you and said, you know, I know that the World Trade Center is going to collapse. I mean it's a horrible thing to use an actual thing. But, you, you know, they said that in 2000 or whatever. You, you'd mm-hmm. be like you're an insane person. That's nuts, you know. So yeah. I, I think uh, – this movie definitely didn't go where I thought it was going because I thought that one possibility <laughs> was that the the movie was going to reinforce that there was nothing he could do to save them. Yes. Right? Which yeah. would be also very, very much Japanese too. Like we've seen that in a lot yeah. of films. It would like, be completely devastating. Like I would still be yeah. recovering emotionally from this movie <laughs> if that was what he chose as the ending. And in a way, it feels like that is supposed to be the ending. You know, just because – uh, there's all this tragedy leading up to it about how, oh, uh, you know, th- you meet this person, you don't know them, they don't know you, they haven't met you yet. There's all this tragedy and sadness around it. And uh, it, it felt to me like it's heading towards like the, Im- the immutability of the past. But instead, it wasn't. It was, it was heading towards this idea of twilight, that like all these things connect and things can change in ways that you can't predict. And uh, I respect the choice it made. It, it could have gone either way. Uh, and I understand why it went the way it did because uh, of all the stuff I was just talking about, about cities vanishing and wouldn't you want to do what you can to stop yeah. that? So. I think what this movie does really well, it really sells the idea that, yes, these two characters are connected and I really like their relationship and I kind of want it to continue. So I do want to see you know this guy do everything he can to save the city. And I think in maybe other films that would feel maybe a little contrived. Like he'll try, but even you may feel like uh, it can't happen. In this movie, I actually really did want it to happen. So that's a yeah, that's a win for this one. And another thing worth pointing out too, like there's a lot of um, discussion in this film about tradition 
and uh, you know traditional worship and things like that. Uh, just in, even in the way they make the uh, the sake in this film versus like the guy living a very very modern life. And that's another thing I appreciate that, about this movie, just seeing how like those two different lifestyles still sort of exist in Japan today and in many countries, too. Like this movie brings up so many ideas like we're we're just bringing it all up right now. But I love that this movie is so multifaceted, even though it didn't really, you know, fill in all the mechanics of how this, you know, the time travel system works or whatever. Yeah, it's not uh, it, the movie has some problems. Uh, I, I wish some aspects of it were different, but ultimately it, it totally works for me. And uh I would recommend it to anyone. So any other thoughts, guys, or shall we wrap it up? I, I agree that it's a beautiful movie, and I, and I certainly would recommend seeing it. I just – it's the opposite for me. It, it didn't work, but it still gave me a, a beautiful experience that I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, like, like fundamentally, like the core mechanics of the movie didn't work for you. Core mechanics didn't work, and honestly, I I was not moved by their relationship. I, I wish I had been. I thought that I thought stylistically how that moment between them played out on the crater was was gorgeous and and beautifully conceived, and how you know he falls to the ground. Uh, or when she when she falls to the ground, uh, that horrible trip that she does running and mm-hmm. then looks at her hand and to read his name and it says, I love you. Beautiful conceptually, but it didn't hit me on a, on a gut level because I didn't have the, the right setup to hope that that's what he would write. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I, it didn't – it wasn't the, the words that I wish that he could say that he couldn't seem to say the whole movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't have that problem. It, I felt I totally bought that again. Not that they were in love romantically, but that they had a really deep appreciation for each other that can only come with actually having been that person. You know, <laughs> uh, and and so their connection uh, felt real to me. So. Mm-hmm. One and thing it, I wanted to point out too is that this movie just exemplifies like why I love anime as an art form, like the style of it. Um, you could shoot a movie like this in live action and maybe, you know, do some of the effects with CG and whatever, but it wouldn't feel as part of the world, right? It would still feel like humans versus special effects. And some of the camera angles, just the way it p- depicts nature in city life, like, the thing about animation is that you you could do anything. And I think it's fascinating to see, like, how that's conveyed in this movie, too. Like, it's just beautiful, like, uh, from the way they convey just about everything in it. Um Live action movies just don't look this good to me, and honestly, like, see, I I haven't seen a CG animated movie that kind of has the same appeal. Like, this is the my love for two D animation. This is kind of why I love all of this. All right, uh, well, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Your Name. Find more episodes of our podcast slash filmcast dot com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail dot com. Uh, our music comes from AdamWarrock dot com. Our spoiler bumper is from Kyle Hillinger. Uh, and our Slash Film Court music is from simonmharris.com. Next week, we'll be doing Free Fire. In the meantime, Devinder Hardware, where can find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devinder, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Jeff Kanata? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, and I have a few other shows, including a weekly video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I also have a daily game show, a short, quick hits, just 10 minutes a day. You can find that at anchor.fm slash NLB. And uh, I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Find all my stuff at davechen.net. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the
Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark, where we talk about all sorts of crazy stuff that is not part of the show. It's just random ramblings that is of no importance to anyone. Luckily, no one listens to this. Luckily, no one listens. It's just it's embarrassing how no one listens to it, but we do it anyway, so it's so yeah. weird. Anyway, uh, guys, <laughs> I was re-watching Veep recently to prepare for the new season, and it feels like a show that was made 30 years ago <laughs> I mean, yeah uh it's still very funny you know it's it's julia louis dreyfus i thought was brilliant in season five veep just had its season six debut but it, it, go through some of the plot lines of season five uh there is a massive freak out when the president accidentally sends a tweet to her boyfriend uh and the tweet is not even particularly damning it's just like Oh, she's not supposed to be tweeting to her boyfriend. We are so far past that right now. It, <laughs> this is a we live in a reality that has you know. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus said on stage, I think at the Emmys, that oh, uh, uh, this movie, this show started out as a satire or as a political farce. It has become a, a somber documentary or something like that. Uh, no, that is not even correct. Like real life has vastly <laughs> outpaced. Veep in terms of how ridiculous it is. I honestly, yeah. I honestly have concerns about the next season of House of Cards. I mean, I know you guys aren't big House of Cards fans, but I am, and I, I don't know how you do a season of House of Cards now. I don't, I don't know what they do because it. <laughs> I mean, reality is so fucked. All of our pop culture is broken. Yes, <laughs> I mean the idea that uh, Frank Underwood is <laughs> some Machiavellian <laughs> uh, danger to the world is like, nah, he's ain't that bad. Really, he's actually <laughs> right now. We'd rather have him. That, that, that is a problem. That is a problem. I, I like. I think for a lot of people, this. I think for a significant percentage of the American population, I'm I'm not exaggerating. Mm-hmm. Would prefer uh, Selena Meyer and her cabinet. Or Frank Underwood and his yeah, cabinet. Like, in a heartbeat, dude, because they're competent. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say Selena Meyer is competent, but she has right. other uh, virtues like a modicum of shame, you know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Frank Frank Underwood, we would love to have someone who is that skilled in the White that House. That has that knowledge of the world yeah. and it can actually ha- maintain a conversation. Uh, <laughs> this week when he like he's – a, he's, a, he's a proper statesman, you know? Yeah. He can read. Yeah, you can read. Ah, <laughs> uh. there, there is, uh, there's this whole uh, subgenre. You know how like um, Downfall, that World War Two, that World War Two movie with Hitler, like with uh, Hitler yelling at everyone, and there's a whole genre of viral videos that that showed yes. that scene from the bunker. Yes, uh, but with different subtitles. There is now a whole uh, subgenre of these viral videos that are. Scenes from the White House, but uh, over the Veep end credits. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, for yeah. instance, this uh, like a week or two ago, when Sean Spicer implied that Hitler did not use chemical weapons and <laughs> referred to concentration camps as Holocaust centers, right? That yeah, is a real thing that happened in the real world. Sean I'm- Spicer is is a character from a sitcom that was made into a real boy. It is he is he was he would be written. By a, a bad writer's room is what he, he is. Well, I mean, he, he seems to be fairly similar in terms of competence level to Mike McClintock <laughs> from Veep. Uh, and right. that show used to be funny because of how uh, insane the idea of a person like Mike McClintock was. 
Yeah. Uh, but now it's no longer that funny. The joke's <laughs> on us, guys. Yeah. So it's it's. I think they've they've taken an interesting path with Veep. So spoilers for everything up through season five. The new season is season six, but um, you know the the last season of Veep, uh, she basically no longer is the president anymore. So this season is all about what she's doing post presidential life, and uh, and that is a relief, you know, because if it. Mm-hmm. If it was her in, in like as the president, it would be uh, the the parallels would be even more eerie. But now that she she doesn't have to be, it's it's fine. Uh, that being said, there are of course a lot of parallels of this woman who was brutally rejected by uh, the American people, you know, who is now trying to put her life back together uh, with with real life people. Anyway, so. Uh, it's just hard to find it funny and these people who are writing shows like Veep and House of Cards now have a a massive challenge ahead of them. All that being said, did you guys see the uh, season premiere of Veep? I I thought it was still pretty pretty funny. Pretty good. Pretty good. I actually did see it, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm hoping they can find... I think, you know, really, the characters and how mean they are to each other uh, is what's going to keep the show going. But watching season five, it did strike me, wow, how many parallels there are to real life. Like, uh, for instance... An incompetent buffoonish character riding into office uh, on the power of the fact that he says what he feels uh, and rails against the president constantly. I'm speaking, of course, of Jonah Ryan from Veep, uh, but that could also <laughs> describe other people in real life. You know? Uh, yeah, and I know you guys don't care about House of Cards, but I- I'm not kidding. That I'm like, I'm genuinely. <laughs> worried about if that season is even going to be watchable at this point because <laughs> you should just transcribe actual things about yeah. what you're saying today and just because yeah. i mean the, they have this uh analog for putin that has been around for a couple of seasons mm-hmm, now right. and yeah. and like how frank underwood deals with him is so much more so much preferable you know to, to <laughs> how our actual country deals it's, well they have an adversarial relationship jeff in, in the show <laughs> right, right right so i mean it's completely different than than what we have yeah so did you guys see this thing, script book, that the Blacklist published today? You guys know what the Blacklist is? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's like the, the, the most popular unproduced screenplays. They have this kind of website now where they, they do more services other than just publishing the Blacklist. It's at blacklist.com, but without any vowels. So just B-L-C-K-L-S-T.com. They announced this thing called script book, which is an AI... Mm. Program script that book will that read your script automatically for a hundred dollars and spit out a bunch of analytics around. What is it. an AI program going to do with my hundred dollars? <laughs> uh, well, I think it's uh, for the people it's who got are bills operating. to pay, Jeff. Oh. So Keith AI Calder, children to fill you. Producer, AI hookers and blow parties. <laughs> I get it. Producer Keith Calder, who has produced movies like You're Next and The Guest and uh, The New Blair Witch. It did a takedown of script book on Twitter that I, I thought to be absolutely scorching. And the reason is because script book, they published a, an example like, okay, Hey, we can analyze your movie, you know, for you. Uh, and just pay us hundred dollars. And here's an example of what that analysis will look like. Uh, and they published a full sample report of their analysis of the movie fences, the Denzel Washington movie fences. And, this analysis is terrible. I mean, like the example analysis offenses. Um, so, for instance, their predicted genre, it says here, predicted genre, 99% drama, 0% crime, 0% sports, 
Zero percent music. So that's right. That's right. Firstly, those are the four genres. (laughs) Like every movie ever made falls into one of those four genres. Yeah. Drama, crime, sport, or music. So what we're trying to tell everybody, no one's listening, but what we're trying to tell everybody is that is the new official slash film cast criteria for reviewing movies moving forward. How much percent sports? (laughs) Drama, crime, and music. (laughs) (laughs) Music is the weirdest one. Like, that's not even a huge... Anyway, it's not even like there's yeah. that many music movies made. Okay, you guys haven't you guys haven't heard my new uh, sports crime musical that I'm pitching. It's very dramatic. Very so dramatic. then, then they have this thing called script DNA, right? And I, I'll link to the show notes you can see. And it says character sentiment, and it has Corey, Troy, and Rose from the movie. And then under each character, it has all these different emotions: anger, annoyance, fear, happiness, hate, and it has like percentages for each one of them. Like how angry they are, even though these percentages don't sum to 100, so I'm not sure exactly what that means. But then, underneath that, it has something called character likability. Uh, protagonist, Troy, 55% character likability. Antagonist, Corey, 24% character likability. Other, Rose, 27% likability. Uh, have you guys seen Fences? I actually haven't. I saw it on stage. Oh, you saw it on stage. Okay, uh, Davindra, do you see Fences? Devendra, are you there? Are you muted, Devendra? Do we lose Devendra? <laughs> Devendra has been an AI this whole Devendra, time. Devendra was so disgusted <laughs> by this conversation that he left. All right, well. You know, Dave, <laughs> we're laughing now, but I'm telling you, in our lifetime, there will be a movie produced that was not written by a human being. I think that's entirely possible. I mean, there have been so, short, there's a short film that's already produced. We interviewed him on the slash filmcast before. Yeah, the guy who there's going to be yeah. there's going to be there are, there will be pop songs that are hits that weren't written by humans. There's going to you know everybody's worried about you know there's going to be no jobs for drivers or you know c- cash register attendant. There's going to be no jobs for anyone. There's going to be no jobs for creatives either because computers are going to be able to do that too. So we're all fucked. Um, if, let's just drop the bomb. Oh, Devinder, you're back. Did you, did you back, vanish for a second? <laughs> I think my mic stopped working. Okay, uh, you're back. Yeah, okay, cool. Sorry. So uh, I'll Devinder just leave all that in up. because this is a slash filmcast after dark. Um, but uh, okay, so ha- have you seen Fences, Devindra? Yes. I okay, so uh, you know if you've seen Fences, guys, it's not too much of a spoiler to say that Troy, the protagonist, is the least likable character in that movie. Yes. But in this uh, script book character analysis, he is 55 – he's the most likable character, 55% likable. Then they have this thing. An AI likes what an AI likes. They have this chart called market positioning, right? And they have this like XY graph. Audience rating is the Y. Creativity is the – so they have a – they creativity ranking, Right. And then audience rating, like creativity versus audience rating. So audience rating for this movie is 7.0. But if you look at the other examples on this audience rating, uh, so, you know, The Dark Knight has a 9. The Godfather is above a 9. Goodfellas is like an 8 point something. Uh, But then G.I. Jane is a 6. And then The Avengers is a 3. Look at that. Avatar's right at an eight, guys. Who's <laughs> which audience? Yeah, that's true, Jeff. That's true. Which audience 
is this rating exactly that like G.I. Jane uh, is is higher than than the Avengers? Really, the the Avengers being down at like three to four is what's really baffling. Um, it also apparently the Avengers has a lower audience rating than the Iron Lady, uh, which which the Iron Lady ranks one of the highest creativity levels. Like it is near a one in creativity is the Iron Lady. Mm-hmm. Why, uh, and then why do they pick these mu- movies to put on this list. I mean, like, Halloween <laughs> Resurrection is on here for some reason. <laughs> it's yeah. such a, Michael so, Clayton. It's did such the, a weird. Did, they, did this get launched today? Is the thing? Oh, it got I, launched I today. Devendra. It's okay. They're charging people money to use this stuff. They're charging, yeah. Uh, because, and, uh, and then, guys, we wrote about it at the end of December. So I yeah, I remember this whole thing. And yeah. then, guys, the piece de resistance, <laughs> the final page on the sample report, production budget, ten to twenty million dollars. They calculate uh, that based on the number of scenes and locations, <laughs> what what the production budget is. Th- this whole thing is so ludicrous. Like, how, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, production budget is a function of so many different things. You know, uh, like tax incentives, like which locations you can use, uh, like that you have access to. You know, really easily. Um, but they base it on how many different locations there are, which apparently in Fences, by the way, there's 41 locations in Fences, which could have fooled me, guys. The backyard? <laughs> could have fooled me because it looked a lot more like five to me. Yeah. Um, but you need a <laughs> fucking AI to tell you how many locations there are. You, it, there's literally a number <laughs> on the script of <laughs> – Yeah. It's ridiculous. So – yeah, companies like this, by the way, a lot of people claim they have an AI. It's usually just an algorithm, you know, and then, and then it, like, reads things and it kind of processes it. Uh, like, even IBM's Watson isn't really AI. It's really just a very, very good encyclopedia that knows how to connect things. Uh, yeah, this is a damn shame. Like, this – between this and, like, the Juicero thing – did you guys see that news? <laughs> yeah, the Juicero thing, yeah. The Juicero thing <laughs> – Apparently, just squeezing the juice pouches. Um, For those who don't know who, what Juicero is, it's a four hundred dollar juice maker that, yeah. like, it's, it operates on the razor model. Like, you you buy this juicer for four hundred dollars, but really, where they make the money are these juice bags that they send you, and you put <laughs> it's just in, squeezing the bag. You put Delicious the juice bag juice bags. You put the juice bag into the juicer, and then out comes this amazing juice. Um, but people have discovered that you can just squeeze the juice bags with your hands and produce, the Capri Sun model and produce the same the, juice bag? the yeah. same quantity and amount of juice. Um, so yes, this is very much like juicer. I mean, like th- this is a this is so damning. You know, this um, yeah. this fences analysis they've released is so damning. It just yeah, but you know what? It shows how intellectually bankrupt this entire enterprise is uh, for now. But this is like, you know, people making fun of the first version of something, and then later on it puts everyone out of work. Uh, yeah. Well, well this, uh, the fences thing was their example. It was their, their example. Company. It's not like someone went out. I'm the only one that remembers the Beatles. Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotted just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? 